Once Upon a Time, Season 5, Episode 5 is over, but we are just getting started here on Once Upon a Recap. Hello, all you magical people out there. My name is Mike Bloom, one of the co-hosts of Once Upon a Recap, and I am joined by the man we just finished, a Harold and Maud recap, and we're ready to talk Once Upon a Time. It's the one and only Kurt Clark. Kurt, how you doing? Doing pretty good. Uh, yeah, another another interesting episode. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, we're in agreement that last week's episode was pretty fantastic, and I think we both said one of the strongest episodes in a while, so it's it's hard to match up to that. I will say that I, I think this is a really solid string of episodes, and yes. I will say overall, I'm, I'm really happy that it seems like, you know, our second episode was our Regina episode, our third episode was our David episode, and this episode was kind of our Henry episode. So it's, it's interesting that they're sort of shifting the perspective here back to the ensemble, whereas I feel like in past seasons, they were sort of like, and this person will get a storyline, and this person will get a storyline, but it, nobody really got like cold cut episodes except for like Emma, Gold, maybe Regina. Yeah, it, it's there. It's it's not a, t- a huge departure from how they've done things, uh, but it it is noticeable to some extent. And and but I'm I'm enjoying it so far. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, man, we were. We were probably not so up on the uh, on the teen angsty drama before this episode, and we got it whole hog this episode. Mm, It was like Dawson's Creek and Gilmore Girls mashed together with Game of Thrones. Yes. Yield O Camelot. Yes. (laughs) So speaking of Camelot, let's let's go back to Camelot. Let's go to Camelot many years ago and let's let's get all this Camelot stuff out of the way since there unlike last week there is a lot of Storybrooke stuff to talk about. And it, Kurt, I think we can finally confirm <laughs> undoubtedly that movie usher that we saw in the very first scene of this season was indeed Merlin. Yes, he he definitely was. Now, mm. I will admit uh, I won't give myself too many kudos here because I'm I'm pretty sure and I was trying to play it off as coolly as possible, uh, but I'm pretty sure when I saw the casting notice over this summer, I saw the guy who played Merlin's face. And so I immediately, like, my mind associated with him, and I sort of blurted it out that it was Merlin. I didn't want to spoil you too much since I knew you don't read the casting notices. And I didn't want to outright say to you, oh, this is Merlin. Yeah, I th- they got to stop doing that. I mean, gah. <laughs> I mean, I can understand when it's like you're bringing on like Ernie Hudson to play King Triton, because like when it's somebody like fun, I feel like that's good. But I, I, I can understand that they, they really want to get people excited. But yeah, I mean, some people like yourself definitely consider that a spoiler. And it, it definitely, you know, I feel like that again, like that whole this whole twist in the first scene would have been completely uh, ruined if you had already known that this person was Merlin to begin with. Yeah. And I mean, but I think, you know, we, there was, there was a, at least going out of the first episode, there was, you know, a strong, strong, strong indication that that was probably Merlin who was talking to, to young Emma in the theater. So it's not like it was a, a huge, a huge spoiler, but, but still, I'm, I'm just not a big fan of the, the, the cast lists. So we're, we're getting a little bit of Merlin's origin story here. And I'm really hoping that we get more because it is very interesting. So he's, I guess we're seeing uh, this isn't Zoso and this obviously isn't Rumpelstiltskin. So I guess this is a pre Zoso dark one. Uh, but this dark one chooses to wear like a, a Jabberwockies type mask for some reason. <laughs> I was waiting for him to just to break out. <laughs> yeah, it, this is dark one number four. Uh, yeah. Although, although I'm guessing, like actually, in the if you were to numerically assign them, this might actually be number one in terms of uh, how far back they go. Because, um, mm-hmm. because as, as again, as far as we know, you know, Merlin oh, still 
only communicated to Arthur in tree form. So this is before he met Arthur. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> we, we don't exactly know the timeline of it, but yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, Merlin appears to be chasing the dark one at the beginning of this. And we see that, that Merlin does have the dagger, um, but things kind of get turned around on him. Yeah, absolutely. L- literally, uh, or I guess I should say telepathically speaking, almost. Um, uh, and it seems like it's interesting. And again, I really hope we get an origin story out of this because I'd love to find out, you know, how did Merlin get the Dark One's dagger? And, th- and is this how the Dark One came into possession of his dagger? Was the dagger hidden away at some point? Merlin brought it out to try to exact revenge. And that's what ended up, you know, when we see the, the dagger in that weirdly uh, useless cage last episode that <laughs> Rumpelstiltskin's holding on to. Maybe the Dark One got the dark dagger got into the Dark One's possession because Merlin was foolish and vain enough to get it out and try to exact his revenge for him killing the one person he ever loved. And what what actually happened there is like was at first I was wondering if he was unable if Merlin was unable to actually like bring himself to strike the Dark One or did the Dark Dark One use magic or did Merlin notice something and drop them like I like here here's my conspiracy theory is there was something vaguely feminine about the dark one. Mm-hmm. And so I'm thinking that the one that he loved is actually the dark one in this situation. Um, oh, interesting. And, and, and part of this is me kind of mixing things up with Arthurian legend. Cause I believe that, uh, that, that Merlin was in love with Nimue and she ended up actually turning him into a tree in some versions of the legend. So, but there was something vaguely feminine about the mask. And I'm wondering if he, where, if he froze, not because the dark one froze him, but did he freeze because he like, rec- it looked like he recognized something. And so, mm-hmm. I, and he like, couldn't bring at that point, like, you know, if this is indeed his loved one wearing the mask, that would be a very good reason why he couldn't strike her with the dagger. But that's, that's my, my two cents. So I would say my two cents is that I personally think it was just a matter of the power of the magic that the Dark One was using. I mean, I, Merlin didn't outright say, stand there and let me stab you. He just sort of commanded the Dark One there. So I guess the Dark One was able to overpower him mentally and get him to drop the dagger. And then he was able to then take his tear and then turn him into a tree. I don't know if the two were connected that like once his tear was taken, he was turned into a tree or if it was just a quick one two spell but i personally think like there might be a great mythological connection to that but i'm gonna i'm gonna try to stay the uh probably the the more conservative route and say that it was just uh the it was showing how great the dark one's power can be and and also by that same note is it seems like then you know the dark one is probably the ultimate player of simon says i mean he just very much follows the 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 letter of what you tell him to do and he can like find ways to work around it yeah it's like it's like a genie basically you can make a you can make a wish but the genie can say like oh well you wish for this but that actually means that this is happening you know like uh, like a twilight zone genie if you will yeah so we see that emma is actually watching this entire scene happen next to the tree uh seemingly using the dream catcher to capture merlin's memory and i, I mean the title of this episode is Dreamcatcher, and so we have a new magical object to play. Kurt, I'm very surprised that uh, of the Stephen King references, we could be made to be barred to Once Upon a Time that it would be Dreamcatcher. Yeah, episode 6, Tommyknocker. Oh my god, I feel like, well, it wasn't like season 1 kind of like the Tommyknockers, when it was like everyone in the town like was sort of in a trance, or they didn't know what was going on except for one person. I feel like that's like the, the best Stephen King uh, illusion you can make, whereas 
I I haven't even read the actual Dreamcatcher or seen the movie, but I'm pretty sure it's about like aliens that crawl out of people's butts, and there's a there's a guy who has cancer who communicates with aliens. Did you just? I think you just described every Stephen King book, um, <laughs> either that or clowns. Um, yeah, yeah, float. No, yeah I, at the time I didn't realize you know, what she was doing to kind of cast this spell or what she was using, but then like once we see. Uh, her explain the power of the Dreamcatcher to Regina, or at least the the new power that she has with it. I was like, oh, so that must have been what she was using earlier. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, apparently, she's seen a lot off screen, as we'll get to in this next scene, where Regina is still, you know, the Charmings are still under the Jersey Shore spell are are trying to convince Regina to give Arthur the dagger, but she's still holding strong and is convinced that something's up and something is up. And Emma actually uses her magic to freeze them and then basically just lays out to Regina everything that went on in the past, like 20 <laughs> minutes of the last episode. Yeah. I was like, uh, how did you find all this out? Um, yeah. but we learned, I mean, that's, you know, she explains everything through the, the, the dream catcher. Um, this is unfortunately wasn't, uh, wasn't explained to Regina over the course of a commercial break. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, you know what? I thought that, that, that again, David and Mary Margaret were doing a good convincing job until suddenly Mary Margaret was all like, what about this? Don't you comprehend? And this guy yeah. lunges at Regina. Yeah, and just she went of, from, she went from a one to a 10 and that definitely <laughs> gave, gave her away a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I thought they were going to actually pull it off, but again, maybe it's the, the, uh, the, I don't know if the sands of Avalon were weakening or it was like, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. It, it just seemed a little un Mary Margaret like, um, and they, luckily Emma showed up in time to, to get them to chill, literally. Yeah. And I, and I will say that I, I'm interested, slash, I'll admit, kind of disappointed that, and we'll see at the end of the episode that once Merlin's brought back to life, he basically undoes the Sands of Avalon spell on David and Mary Margaret. And I was intrigued because I thought we would have, we would have gotten at least like two episodes material out of the fact that like her parents are under a spell, but they don't actually know it. Uh, so it's weird that they just had yeah. all that, the big like, you know, question mark at the end of the last episode got completely undone. Whereas I think in the last episode, I said it will be canceled by the end of next episode, maybe two episodes of the outlet. Yeah. And you were right. That's the one time (laughs) we'll mark it down. Let's all, we'll put it on the board of times that Kurt was right about things that happened on once upon a time. Uh, So, and this is where we actually get our kind of main conflict for both the flashback and the storybook aspect set up here which is basically a rehashing of emma versus regina except they're on opposite sides which one of the things i'm loving about this season is their ability to kind of replay around with these expectations we have with these with these characters five seasons in this is definitely one of them we've had regina and emma in stark contrast in season one obviously and then they've worked together to varying degrees throughout the seasons and now they're sort of on opposite sides of the spectrum again but this time regina's sort of this all this dark magic stuff kind of comes off like an anti-drug PSA <laughs> like Regina is like the former junkie that's telling Emma like it's a slippery slope you know I got involved with it and it ruined my life and that's that's the tone I got through that Regina's been through this experience and she's trying to convince Emma to to come to her side of the spectrum but for some reason they're they're stayed at they're stuck at different ends of the line and to be fair she does seem to be a lot more free you know, Regina asked, you know, when did you become so free with your use of, of dark magic? And it, it does seem like she, like something happened between the last time she used magic and which was, I think to, we saw was to heal, um, a Robin's to, to Robin Hood, yeah. which, which brought about the fury in Storybrooke. Yeah. And 
it, it, it does seem like that that concern is completely gone. And I don't know if, if that's gone because does she does she maybe feel like she has it more under control since she took that ride with uh, with Hook on the mm-hmm. horse? I mean, because maybe maybe she feels she has it more under control because, uh, you know, Rumpelstiltskin isn't speaking to her in her head anymore, or at least that we've seen. Um, and so, so, well, you know, got rid of him, so I can probably use this a little more safely. I don't know, but she she's strangely free with it now. Yeah, absolutely. She's like, oh yeah, I know. I only use it when I'm like stressed out, or you know, when I don't have anywhere to go. It's not. I'm not. I'm not. It's not a problem or anything. Exactly. <laughs> so we get an immediate explanation in the next flashback scene of, as you mentioned before, how Emma figured out everything that happened in the previous episode. She talks about how there is a dream catcher, and I guess the dream catcher is sort of. It's sort of like. I would compare it to like the the necklace that Percival used previously in this season, but it's actually the closest thing to a magic mirror that we have on this show, aside from the personified magic mirror. In terms of like you look, you literally look at it and it it reflects back not exactly what's going on, but it seems like the memories that existed. Yeah, it's 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 a little bit like the and all the Harry Potter fans out there are going to be yelling at me because I can't come up with the name of it, but that that little kind of. Yes, the thing they think it draws pensive, yeah, draws the memories out and puts in the water. So it's it's you can view other people's memories. It's a lot to me. It was a lot like that. Yeah, absolutely. I got I got the same idea as well. Except Emma doesn't have to stick her face into the dream catcher to see people's memories. <laughs> we leave lines on her face. It's, no, yeah, I'm, it's it's the twine we get all caught. It wouldn't be. I mean, those those were so well made as well. But apparently, this is dream catcher is sort of uh, a little bit of a deceptive image because. For being such a peaceful set of imagery, it is apparently the strongest dark magic that Emma has ever used. But she hasn't used a whole lot, though. I know. So. Just, that, that seems weird to me, though, that we have this magic exist where you're able to pull someone's heart out of their body and murder them by crushing their heart. <laughs> yet creating a, like a, a remember like creating like a picture carousel on a dream catcher is the is the most dark magic you can do so far and once again we're kind of treated to a use of quote-unquote dark magic that does not appear evil or vindictive and could potentially be helpful i mean i think we're to believe that y- yes you can use this to remove people's memories um but it, as you know it's also can be used. I think what we're seeing here is more of a, uh, to see what other people's, other people's memories are. Mm-hmm. Um, and that well, without necessarily removing them. I like, I don't think she, well, we don't know. I don't think she removed Merlin's memory. She was just observing his memories. Yeah. That, um, yeah. That brings up a great question though, because I mean, Regina will make the assumption later on in the episode that everyone lost their memory because Emma put them in the dream catchers. And we might get a hint of that when we see Emma in the shed later with, the, with all yeah. those dream catchers. So is, are, do you think those are like two different steps in that there's, you can observe a memory or you can also take a memory from somebody. You know, dream catchers don't kill people. People with dream catchers <laughs> kill people. Mike. Oh, okay. Let's not get rid of people. People riled up about Dreamcatcher rights in this country, Kurt. It's the <laughs> yeah. We have the right to bear Dreamcatchers. Um, but no, I, I do think I do think it's like two separate, two kind of you know separate uses. Uh, I mean, you just like you can, you know, uh, you know, look at a bird with a pair of binoculars, or you can throw the binoculars at the bird and take it out. Um, I, don't, two, I, don't, I don't think that's an option. Is it, isn't that what birding is about? Is that is that I what birding I means? I don't know if I want to go bird watching with you, Kurt. Um, but yeah, I, I do think it's my interpretation is that it's two different uses, or at the very least, um, 
we're seeing one use in Camelot and one use in Storybrooke potentially. Uh, but I'm not, mm-hmm. sh- not sure kind of how the, how that ends up fully playing out. But yeah, I'm, I'm still kind of not a fan of the whole, you're using dark magic to heal somebody or, uh, for pretty like neutral and benign uses. Um, but eh, yeah. yeah, I don't make the rules. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll say that overall I'm liking, in this flashback sequence, watching Emma like slowly descend into what, and it's, it's nice to see on the sort of on a parallel, what dark Swan has become at the same time. I do feel like this episode in particular, might it be this over on the head a little too hard with this whole idea of like, no, Emma, if you're using your dark magic for what you think is good, you're actually using it for evil. Like, I feel like that was said by multiple characters multiple times. And at a certain point I was just thinking, okay, we, we get it. Even though she has the best intentions, the dark magic is going to work well for her. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so let's, uh, so Regina has this logic. Kurt, do you, do you find this logic sound that she thinks that like an anti venom can be made of the same venom, or I guess like, like a vaccine has a little bit of the virus you're vaccinated against in it. She thinks if they take a tear from somebody who has, since Merlin uh, before he was turned into a tree, was sort of like a scorned lover. If they take a tear of someone who is also forlorn in their love life, then they can use it in the potion to bring Merlin back to life. Do you think that? Do you think that's sound logic? Yes. <laughs> um, at this point, you know, when you're when you're really spitballing, uh, I, I'd, I'd say yeah, let's give it a try. Um, but at the same time, I think I'd be like. Like, let's make, okay, if that's plan A, let's have, like, plans B through L that we can also, you know, throw at the tree when this one doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seemed like they were kind of putting all of their eggs in the uh, lovelorn tear basket. Um, <laughs> I mean, on the other hand, it's, it's not like it can turn into more of a tree. So, I mean, <laughs> it just turns into a bigger tree. <laughs> exactly, guys. That's You're much more tree-like now, Merlin. Um, <laughs> uh, so, maybe it's just like the, if if you, if if they analyzed the spell and they saw that it was a spell of shifting, then, you know, maybe the, what, 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 what it is that, that, uh, is the impetus for the shift is the tier. Then that I can be, that kind of potentially makes sense. I mean, it's just, you're, you're shifting from one state to another. It's not so much what the states are. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, it's magic, <laughs> you know, um, never believe it's not. So yeah. I, the only, the only quibble that I have with it is that I feel like, I feel like magic spells outside of once upon a time have that sort of like general directions. Like, you know, you must bring me eye of newt and the golden hair of the, of the most fair maiden, you know, whereas like once upon a time, I think they're very clear with their directions. Except this one just seems purposely vague of like, and you must bring me the tear of someone who lost their lover and is sad about it. It just seems a little out of place to me. They're both, I mean, and also they're both wielders of magic. So maybe us, uh, muggles uh are are to 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 mix terms uh just aren't able to fully under uh, under underhand which is understand and comprehend together uh i like it such a nice portmanteau yeah uh we're not fully able to comprehend their magic talk and logic so uh internally to them they both get it it's just as they try to vocalize it in non-magical words it kind of just sounds weak uh, maybe that's yeah we're just, we we haven't been studying up on our magical terms but screw the magic kurt let's go to the stables uh for some for some good old teenage <laughs> love and some good old talking about our dead parents <laughs> stroking nicodemus 
It's okay, so Nicodemus is, from what I looked up, is like a Pharisee. Uh, he's a biblical character, and he was uh, he was one of the people at the burial of Jesus, but he was later sort of venerated by becoming a saint. But I did <laughs> not find any sort of information about him as like a as a whether it's a medieval name. There is a horse, a racing horse named Nicodemus, but unless one of the writers has a gambling problem, I don't really see the connection. Yeah, I was looking over last week, and the only. Uh, even like vaguely animated reference was to the secret of Nim, which was not a Disney property. Oh yeah, no, that was that was Don Bluth. Yeah, that was the, the that was the the separatists. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm just saying, you know what? They just named it Nicodemus. <laughs> yeah, that's just just for fun. Yeah. Uh, but so Henry and Violet are, you know, they're brushing the horses. They're making small talk here, and I mean, they're. I I will say, I think it when you're wanting to flirt with a girl, I I don't know if talking about how her mom is dead and your dad is dead. Isn't that cool? It's probably not the best topic of conversation. Yeah. I mean, you know, points to him for trying to find that common bond. Unfortunately, you know, death and despair was the one he chose. Yeah. Unless, I mean, unless he wants to go with like a step-by-step type of plan uh, or like a Brady bunch type of thing where like step one, they can have lots of fun. Yes, exactly. Where where Emma, Emma, and and Sir Morgan get married, and then they all get to live in a house together. I don't, uh, I I don't understand it. But I mean, Henry also in this first segment, uh, I think Henry Jerry Gilmore actually I think does some really good work later on in this episode. Maybe not in the first part of this episode when he starts uh, farting around with a sword. Unless, like, the director said, okay, just be the dopiest person you can be. Uh, and, and so he just starts picking up the sword and when, when Violet leaves and just starts swinging it around, which, of course, causes him to fall through the gate and meet uh, trope number 342 of the romantic comedy, the stern, disapproving father. Yeah. Wah, wah. Uh, yeah, he's, uh, you don't know how to wield a weapon and you have no skills with a horse. What kind of squire are you? <laughs> Now, do we is Sir Morgan pertinent at all, or is he just a made up character? I did. Morgan is such like a there. There are lots of Morgans in um, uh, in Arthurian legend. It seems uh, I, I'm not reading too much into it. Like, I, what if it's what if it's Morgan Le Fay in disguise? That's, that, you know, that's uh, that's the first thing I was thinking. Is like, did they just do kind of like a gender bender thing here? But there's going to be. Um, but I was like, you know, I didn't bother looking at Violet, so I didn't bother looking up Sir Morgan. <laughs> No, that I mean, it makes sense. I mean, it's I think it's just a typical disapproving dad who says, oh, you're you're an artsy fartsy writer. You'll you'll never see my daughter again. And so he's very confident that like and now Henry sort of set on this path to become a hero, which I think is a really nice parallel to the gold storyline that we'll talk about in a little bit. But he runs into his mom's in the middle of the forest and he says, you know, we have this whole conversation a little after school, especially about like, oh, you don't you don't have to change who you are to get people to like you. Uh, and Regina uses the very pertinent example of Daniel, the stable hand, who we haven't really seen or like heard mentioned since that one time she tried to reanimate him in season two when he turned out to be a zombie. Not only were there a lot of mentions of Daniel in this episode, there were a lot of mentions of Balefire in this episode yep. as well. Um, like the whole like, you know, when Emma says, you know, don't don't go changing just to please her um but then she says you know that's what your 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 father's uh you know words of wisdom were mm-hmm. and i was like that was a strange callback and then even like i completely forgot until they mentioned it that you know the dream catchers uh were that that balefire gave his dream catcher in his apartment or she yeah. she still had his dream catcher from new york yeah. um I, I so there, there were just to me there's a lot of strange 
uh, love you, Balefire references in this yeah. uh, in this episode. Yeah, it was it was interesting because I mean it seemed like you know Regina's really came to fruition when we see yeah. her use Daniel as an example and we see it in the Dreamcatcher, but. And with Neil being mentioned so much, it's weird that like now that he wouldn't like suddenly spurt back to life or something. It's, I mean, it's great that they, and I love when shows, you know, do acknowledge it's canon and say like, okay, it's Neil's death clearly had an effect on the series, but it is weird that it was mentioned just out of the blue so many times. I agree with that. Yeah. I do like Regina's advice is like the thing that you've, you know, Henry, the thing that you've got going for you is you're not like every other boy around here. So don't try to be like every other boy around here. I kind of actually liked that message more than, uh, don't change just to please somebody. Um, yeah. Because Henry kind of does counter and say, well, you know, what's what's wrong with trying to be better than I am? I go, you know, that's a good point. If you see a spot for improvement, uh, uh, you know, being able to just, you know, lift up a sword, it might be a good thing. Uh, um, <sighs> but, but I like the, I like the, the, the Regina's point more about, you know, if you're like every other boy around here, then, you know, you'll no longer kind of stand out like you do. Yeah, and, and did he just did his muscles just atrophy after he stopped sword training with David a couple seasons ago? Like I thought he had a pretty he had a pretty good handle on that. Swords swords are heavier in Camelot, apparently. Yeah, I guess so. They're made from maybe Arthur sabotaged all the other swords so that he could be, appear to be the strongest yeah. person. Yeah, we we learned Henry's an indoor kid. He's not a squire. Absolutely, I definitely sympathize him with him there. <laughs> but yeah, so the we Emma uh, after hearing about Regina talk about Daniel says like, oh wait, you could be the scorn lover that we used to make the tier. So, uh, in a little, I mean, this is one of those things that you can say like, well, I think Emma's slowly turning into the dark one because again, even though she's helping Merlin come about, she is showing Regina her lover's violent death at the hands of her mother in order to get her to cry. True, true. <laughs> did you did you like the appearance of uh the the season one sort of flashback with Cora and everything? Um, it was it was nice. Uh, especially I think maybe I'm sure there are some people who are maybe watching this season who had never actually saw season one. Uh, I mean, just you know, statistically, there have got to be people who have watched this episode who never saw the episode that, from that flashback. Um, so it, it was a, it was a nice talk, a nice nice throwback. I'll, yeah. I'll allow it. <laughs> yeah, I, I I liked it. I mean, I th- I still have this theory that uh, I think that the producers just want to get as much Cora in as possible. That I, they, they, I remember they, like, you sc- saying that. <laughs> yeah, they, they sort of like screwed the pooch by killing her off and they love the character. So they brought her back for a flashback last season and now she's in a dream catcher in this one. Uh, but it was it was a nice because I do think that was one of the like. I love that episode in, in when we watched season one last summer because I thought that after seeing Regina be the big bad for the entire season, I thought that really that ep- entire episode really informed her character. And that was really the pivotal moment that made her turn her sort of down that evil path. So I thought it was fun to watch it again. Uh, but I do really uh, what I really like is the tag at the end of this scene where they're t- Emma and Regina are talking about the situation that happened. And Emma says, you know, I can't, I don't understand how a mother could do something like that. And we'll see in a little bit that Emma is going to do basically one step away from that uh, in order to sacrifice her kid's happiness. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Yeah. Uh, so, but first we have a, a dinner, Kurt, oh in Granny's. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, first of all, I was confused at first. Yeah, I, 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 I was extremely confused. I was like, wait a minute, because, you know, he's, you know he's looking for her horse, but instead decides to invite her to granny's for dinner. Oh, oh, this is Camelot, not Storybrooke. Yep. I had the exact same. Cause, because 
like we had, were talking about this out of order, but the sequence that went was like they were looking for the horse. Then this flashback scene happened. Then Henry and Emma were like walking around uh, and and were talking. And I'm like, wait, so did he get rejected? Then decide to keep looking for the horse? I don't, I don't understand. But yeah, this is. I guess we were supposed to go with like where the way he was dressed that they yeah. were clearly in, that they were still in Camelot. I, I figured it out like about ten seconds into the scene, um, and between the and it was really his his dress that 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 kind of tuned it into me um mm-hmm. and, the, and the lack of like there's only candlelight and like nothing outside like no lighting outside and yeah um uh but yeah otherwise um yeah they've got a nice stash of pepsi in camelot now apparently yeah so when when she was drinking i mean i feel like violet was like advertising she could have advertised pepsi if they if they had the brand out there especially when she says it's like, like a carnival, carnival in, in a can, can. Oh my! I was gosh. waiting for the Pepsi logo to just show up in the bottom third. I heard her like glance at the at the at the camera in like a Mentos knowing way, yeah, or like or like in Wayne's World when he does like the thumbs up while eating the Pizza Hut. <laughs> that would have been awesome. It's like a party on my taste buds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, did you like the the reappearance of the what was it? Who's the eighties band? Yes, yes, yeah. I, I mean, it's their song, and I guess Henry only brought a certain number of tunes on his on his iPod Mini to the. Uh, to Camelot, but I was like, <laughs> he's got I'm like we know he's got two movies. Maybe he's only got like four songs. Yeah, that's also a weird thing as well. Okay, so uh, <laughs> well, first, there's a lot of things about this. First, Henry, listen, you're from another world. You have a lot of things that you can just you're throwing out to her, and she has no idea what's going on. I mean, you should ju- you should stop and linger on the idea that she thought the soda was magic. Then you're like, oh yeah, we're we're heating up dinners. You can watch a movie that's a moving picture on my phone. Oh yeah, I have things on my phone. There's this movie. Like he was throwing out way too many future references. I feel like her head was going to explode at one point. Yeah, like like linger a bit more on the things. Yeah, I sympathize with her a little bit. She has no idea what any of this stuff is. You can't be very nonchalant about it. I mean, he could have milked the Pepsi thing for a good 45 minutes and he like oh, spent absolutely. 45 seconds if that on it. He he was going to get to first base with the soda alone. I mean, when Kurt Clark is giving you dating tips, Henry, you know you have issues. <laughs> so then, Kurt Clark, since you're since you you fancy yourself a better dating aficionado than Henry, Harold and Maude, good or bad date movie? <laughs> I don't know much about it, but I think this might be a good no, not a good movie. No, uh, and Ariel pointed this out in the Patreon Facebook group. It is a horrible choice. <laughs> yes. Henry, Henry, first of all, why do you have this movie? This Harold is a boy that is obsessed with death to the point of where he's staging like fake suicides. Like this is not, th- this is not a movie a 13 year old boy should be watching, <laughs> let alone a 13 year old boy that is looking to hook up with a, with a, a 13 year old girl. It's, it's a horrible choice. I mean, I took it, I took it more as like a spot of comedy. Like the fact that he would that he knows nothing about it and thinks it's, it would be a good date movie, um, I was just more like chuckling at it. So I don't I don't think we the viewers are supposed to think. I think we were supposed to think that he was mis like just humorously misguided. What was the other movie? Commando. Commando. I think. <laughs> I got Alyssa um, Milano in that. You know, I did we like if you want to do. Neither is really a good depiction of everyday life in my you know no. in the world that I come from. <laughs> No, though I'm saying if it was basic cable once upon a time, uh, Commando would definitely have a different plot than probably the one Henry. Had. Yeah, that's true. I, if I had to choose between the two, I probably would have 
Gosh, I wouldn't have shown her a movie. <laughs> yep, I would have said, let, I'll talk to you about movies later. I, or I will, I will narrate you. Let me tell you a riveting story. And then I would steal the plot from like a movie that I really enjoyed. Oh, I talk like, about, I talk about when, when Harry met Sally, especially when after Violet says like, we can just be friends. He's like, let me tell you this story about two friends who uh, were just going to be friends, but then they fell in love with each other and then they lived happily ever after. Yeah, I see. I would have tried to retell Goonies, like a nice adventure oh, story I, about with like children our age. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was an ogre who yes. liked <laughs> baby he, Ruth candy bars. He ate babies? No, no. Uh, never mind. No, never. Okay, I think we're good. We're good. And she probably gets scared with the pirate talk because those are prominent in their world. Uh, but no matter what movie Henry chooses, it ends in heartbreak. As and then, I mean, this was. Oh man, this is this was bringing back some memories for me, Kurt. Uh, Violet says Violet basically puts Henry in the friend zone. Dude, match game, ding 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 ding, friend zone. Yeah, oh, amazing. <laughs> I'm so glad we're on we're on, on track. As Henry always. was friend zoned violently by Violet. <laughs> yeah, I mean this was this was pretty gut wrenching to watch just to just to see her like tell him to his face, "Oh, we're just going to be friends." Now, Kurt, when you saw this first time did you have a hint that something might have been going on or did you think these were like legitimate feelings i actually thought they were legitimate feelings to be completely honest yeah i did i did too just because we hadn't seen anything of violet so far so i was like oh it's not like she's acting against character to do this because we don't know what her character is and she could very well likely have been someone who just wanted to make a friend and instead was being brought into a a courtship (laughs) yeah (laughs) sorry (laughs) i'm just thinking ahead to (laughs) <laughs> to to this is a big reveal in the mayor's office with henry but we'll get to that oh boy yeah so uh emma is able to or emma's plan you know we don't know it's her plan yet but it's all going going well and she's mixing everything together outside uh and she realizes that regina's tear isn't working it's probably because <laughs> regina's moved on uh which is a pretty again Emma uh, is, could go about it a, a less harsh way than being like, well, you're over your, your lover's death. So it's your magic doesn't work. Sorry. Yeah. It, and is it bad that at this point I was like, make Henry cry, please. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, I mean, I did see, I did see this coming um, in terms of uh, them that, okay, this didn't work. So, Oh, Henry just kind of happens to stumble up, you know, upon us and he's sad. And, uh, and I even, even then I didn't think, wow, this was wonderfully orchestrated. Hmm. Something's up. Um, yeah, but (laughs) I wanted to see the moms try to start to say mean things to make him cry. Like, you know, (laughs) sometimes the best you, you can be, isn't good enough, Henry. (laughs) You have a little weasel face, Henry. (laughs) Um, uh, or they, or they just start like slapping him around (laughs) to make him cry. Uh, but uh, oh, he he, he just they took his his tear and and magic yeah. exactly just in time though because Arthur and the knights come in uh, right in time to kind of accost them but Regina's able to very easily hold them back with the she throws like one fireball maybe she throws them back with just the threat of a fireball well it's a pretty big threat I mean and to, yeah. be, and to be fair they can't wield magic and you've got two pretty powerful magic wielders here. Um, but the strange thing for me is like we do see Emma like what at least to me, visually or symbolically, she appears to be using both light and dark magic. Absolutely. Yep. I was just going to talk about that. Uh, and we, and we've, I think we've, we've talked about this before. At least it's been mentioned on the show before. And I can't remember when uh, maybe some of our eagle eyed listeners will point it out to us. But I feel like there was at one point in the series, someone was talking about how, like, you know, yielding 
uh, wielding light and dark magic together is like the most powerful magic you can do or something like that. And there's obviously been a lot of, yeah. a lot of talk about light and dark magic this season, but the power to use them both at once, I can imagine is probably the most <laughs> powerful thing you could ever do. And whoosh, you have gray magic. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that lovely gray, murky gray magic. <laughs> it's like, uh, it's overcast. If you don't <laughs> like this magic, just wait 10 minutes. It'll get lighter. Um, <laughs> But it's but it also kind of begs the question though of like whether or not could she have if she'd wanted just used light magic? Yeah, I will. I wonder maybe. I mean, maybe the dark magic is sort of like it's more powerful than light magic, but the side effect is that if your your soul <laughs> is sort of purged by evil, um, and so you sort of have to balance that out. So utilizing both together sort of cancels out the negative effects of each of them. I'm not sure because it seems like. It looks like Regina and Emma so far are the only two people that can use both light and dark magic. Yeah. Um, although, although, does Regina use dark magic? I mean, like, I, I it's like I, there's evil and then there's dark one. Um, and I mean, it, yeah, the, she hasn't used the. I mean, she has crushed hearts before, but I guess uh, that's not dark one magic as much as that's just evil magic. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, we'll have to we'll have yeah. to see, but the good news is the gray magic has produced Merlin again. Yep, and Merlin immediately starts by telling off Arthur. Yeah, I'm disappointed in you. Yeah, oh man, that's the worst thing you could say. And I'm actually I'm really excited for these Camelot flashbacks um, for a variety of reasons, but one of them also being like we and we talked about this before about like the Arthur Merlin relationship is such a big question mark, and now we finally get to see the answer to that question and seeing like how they interact with each other. And it's clear that they did not leave things on good terms. <laughs> no, um, they, they very much did not. And, and again, like, again, if, if Merlin was a tree this entire time, like really, what could he have done to, well, he will, well, what Arthur says that basically what you, you set me on an impossible quest and ruined my life. Um, I'm interested in, in what that is. I mean, unless the, the impossible quest is to, to rule the broken kingdom. Um, like I'm wondering if there's, there's something else that we don't know about. Uh, is it the quest for the Holy grail? Um, <laughs> but, uh, he just has to go across the moat into the French castle. That's where it is. <laughs> exactly. Oh, uh, awful naughty zoot. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it's good. To, and I think, you know what, if, if, we I can't we may have talked about it in the first episode of the season, but you know if you had gone back and asked us, you know, uh, you know, you know seven point five episodes, you take the over or the under in terms of when you'll first see Merlin released from the tree. I think I you know, I would have said oh, it'll be more than seven and a half, more than seven and a half, so, so you know you know eight and up. Um, but you know five episodes in, we've got Merlin, and and you know this is this is the pace that we sh- that we're pretty used to with with Once Upon a Time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again. I'll say it. I'll, I feel like I'm going to say it every week at this point. We are moving at a breakneck speed, and I, I hope this means that things are going to have a. We'll have a big twist. I mean, we're less than halfway through the the half season at this point, and already all this stuff has happened. It's right. pretty insane. Yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm assuming that we're sort of building to this giant reveal in a couple of episodes. But yeah, it'll be really interesting to see. Like now that Merlin is part of the Camelot cast, to see like what place does he have now? Is he going to become like the almighty ruler since he sort of wields this great power? But I guess we will we will have to see. Yeah. Now, do we want to talk about even though that this 
this reveal scene of Emma was in the present. Do we want to talk about it now or leave it for when it falls in with the dream catcher and storybook? Yeah, let's wait. Let's wait till the storybook. Okay. Then let's, then let's just, we'll just finish up the flashbacks here when uh, Merlin, as we said before, undoes the sands of Avalon. So that is all said and done. You were totally right. Kurt, Uh, David sort of, lampshades uh, Merlin by saying that he expected someone a little older, uh, which I think everybody was. So I'm not, I'm not opposed to hottie Merlin. Uh, I think it, I think it works. But the big thing we get out of this is that yes, Merlin can indeed free Emma from being the dark one, but she has to want to do it. And that's going to become the big indicator, I guess, of the next several episodes. And it'll show why she becomes black Swan is Emma apparently does not want to give up the power. Yeah, which which is which is something that we've obviously seen with Gold uh, in Storybrooke when he was the Dark One. Um, but it's yeah, I think like so the, the the big outstanding question still is like what is it that triggers in you know in in Camelot's story mode? Uh, what is <laughs> Camelot's Camelot's campaign mode? Yeah, first person campaign exactly the in the Camelot first person campaign. Um, what is the trigger to really just set Emma off and everybody steal their memories and send everybody back to Storybrooke? And which of those was, was she responsible for? Um, I'm guessing we'll get that within a couple episodes, just given the pace. Um, yeah. But you know, we still haven't, I, but we still, there's a role for Lancelot and Merida in the Camelot storyline. So there's still something that's going to happen there. And I still don't think we can get that without having, a bit of a Merida flashback, although we may get that next week. Um, yeah. But I think that's the big thing. But, you know, even if, you know, we said, if even if Camelot gets tied up nicely, you've still got modern, there's still like all the, all the current pressing issues. That's all in the past. The current pressing issues are, you know, Dark Swan in Storybrook. Although you always had Mr. Gold in Storybrook and he was just always plotting and trying to do something. Yeah. Um, and like right now, like we, we don't know what Emma has planned. And then there's the whole Arthur is still actually a threat in, in Storybrooke. Yeah. So, and we don't yeah, know if Merlin's he, in Storybrooke. Yeah. That's, that's a big question mark as well. Is that, you know, if was Merlin one of the leftovers or is he in Storybrooke? <laughs> and if he is, where is he? Did he turn back into a tree again? Uh, we're not sure. So we'll put it, we'll put a pin in Camelot for yes. now. I'm sure we'll find out more. Let's jump to the present here since we did not get a lot of it last week. So we pick up actually where we left off two weeks ago after Griff uh, was killed by or convinced by Arthur to drink poison and turned into like a, a bunch of dust. And so the heroes are standing in the jail cell wondering, how did someone else die in our jail cell? <laughs> how is this still a thing? Yeah. Or just, I think they, they, they didn't mean like die, but just like disappear. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's just like, don't, don't put them in that jail cell anymore or invest in the surveillance camera because we know that, you know, all the people who are causing these bad things to happen really aren't that savvy with technology. So you can just easily put in some surveillance. Absolutely. But they turn their attention instead of the disappearance to the fact that apparently all the Camelotians are a little down in the dumps for being homesick. So Mary Margaret has the idea of throwing a block party, a dance. I mean, a ball, I mean, a block party. Yeah, uh, which is, I mean, Kurt, I don't know if you yes. got Shades of Wayward Pines. Yes, 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 I did. We have a match did, on that one as well. David David Pilcher's <laughs> fail of a fall festival, I think it was, trying to get people to forget about like the mass murders that were going on. <laughs> I had the exact same thoughts. Like, hmm, something really, really bad just happened in town. Let's throw a carnival. <laughs> yeah, again, it's not, I mean, I guess not, things did not go wrong during Once Upon a Time. It wasn't like, once upon a time, everyone found out that Griff was gone and then like big mass riots break out like it did in way or 
you know, someone got up on stage and broke all this news. Um, like David, David's Hines. not killing a dwarf at midnight in the town square. Oh my God. Is that's that might be basic cable once upon a time as well. Uh, but yes, so it's definitely did not, I think, I guess it, ha- it might've had the intended effects. I don't know. We don't hear anything more about it for the rest of the episode, except seeing it, seeing like three, sh- three shots of B roll of it, but it's kind of a, it's an interesting idea. And like, I'm, I want to talk about this when Henry talked to Violet about like going to the dance to the block party, but like, didn't Violet vocalize that they had balls like all the time and how they were all getting tired of them? Like, why would you want to throw another party to lift their spirits? That's a really good point. Or at least like she, maybe just as a young girl, was really just bored of going. Like, is like, yeah, this is so uncool, Henry. Because um, yeah. we know that she really did like Henry, and so like, if if she did like him, then you know. It, it, it's cool to fit to, you know, feign disinterest in something. But maybe, maybe the rest of the Camelotians uh, would, would really dig something like this. Um, but at the same time, it's not like Henry remembers that she doesn't like balls. So, yeah. I mean, dances. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> the censors are going to be honest for this one. <laughs> it's not a, it's not a ball. It's a block party. <laughs> yeah. So it's going to be on, on the block. Yes. It's going to be on our blocks. Uh, get our blocks off. So uh, as so, this is where we actually get a sort of mention for the first time to everyone else that Henry does have a girlfriend. And so Regina plays yeah. her nice little motherly role of being like, uh, what? And Hook plays his nice little pseudo fatherly role of being like, oh, there you go, sport. Do what I do. <laughs> I can and, teach you the ways of women. Yeah, like, oh, great. Okay, just, <laughs> just you know follow them around like a puppy dog for a while and then eventually they'll love you right and regina's like over my dead body no you're not gonna i was waiting waiting for like a tobias funke moment when like somebody says oh yeah hook you're the master of it remember when you dated gold's wife oh wait she's dead (laughs) and there was there was a subtext that i don't know at least at this point there was kind of a small subtext that was emanating from arthur and guinevere like i was wondering like if we have a ball in Storybrooke, is that the first step to establishing Camelot in Storybrooke? Yeah. It, hey, remember that ball we had? Wasn't that great? We should still have Camelot yeah. here. Yeah. We, at this point, like it's been like since it's been a couple episodes since they've pretty much said that our goal in Storybrooke is to reestablish Camelot here. Um, so I don't really know what this means in terms mm-hmm. of um, in, in terms of like. Okay, if that's your goal, what is step one, two, and three? Um, not really. So I, 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 there's that whole thing in Storybook right now too. Yeah, we have to. We I, I totally forgot that like Arthur's entire motivation yeah. here is to try to gain control of Storybook and turn it into Camelot. So I guess we'll put a pin on that as well because we got we have some more Henry and Violet stuff here, and he, Henry figures out that. And remember that Henry and Violet in this in Storybook had just met for the first time. So. Yeah. There's not really a, like a well-worn relationship there, but I guess there's they still have these sort of like residual feelings about each other. And she is in a tizzy because Epidermis or whatever his name is uh, ran away. Nicodemus, so, <laughs> it's close, close enough. Uh, so Henry has Henry said, uh, you know, I'll I'll help you get the horse back. So he goes to Emma and says, "Hey, mom, I know you're in there somewhere, and so you're going to help me." And he she, uh, he pulls out the Operation Mongoose card uh, Cobra. to. Oh, Cobra Mongoose was the Regina one, yes. right? Getting my animal taxonomy mixed up. Uh, she pulls, he pulls out the Operation Cobra card to try to kind of guilt Emma into getting her happy ending. Yeah, and it it, it kind of works. Yeah, I mean, she seems happy when she gets the horse back. I guess that's 
problem solved. I guess she did it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, though, I, I mean, it turns out that Emma knew about everything that had happened beforehand, so it seems like she was more so trying to make up to Henry for doing something horrible that he doesn't even remember. But I guess, I, I, I mean, it doesn't equal out, but I guess it sort of equals out. Yeah, and uh, they they get more mileage out of that Only You song at this point, too. <laughs> yeah, well, they, that's what they mentioned in the car, yeah. right? So they're they're talking about, like, so how did you woo her? And so he talks about... Yeah, this yeah song that apparently Neil used as well. Yep, which more I, Neil too. <laughs> I, I have to. Oh, I have to remember back in the Tallahassee episode. I'm pretty sure he did not play the Yaz song to get to get Emma to go off with him. Yeah, I think I think that was something that happened off screen. Yeah, I mean, if but that's the other thing too. I mean, no, no offense to Neil's parenting style here, as short lived as it may have been, but you can't really be like. Oh yeah, uh to get this girl use this 180 song. It works every time. <laughs> I mean, I had heard the I I was very familiar with the song. Um but you know, it's it's if you had me list like top 20 80s songs uh in terms of, you know, top of mind, this would never even pop up. No, I I would have had him pull out like I want to know what love is or something. I was thinking like tainted love. <laughs> Tainted love. I think that's. I think the lyrics "I've got to run away" might not have helped his case. I don't know. Uh, uh, so, meanwhile, while Emma's out trying to help Henry, so was Henry working with the heroes here and trying to distract Emma? Because we hear that he like texted her Regina later, saying they were coming back. That was the same question that I had because it seemed like he was being really legit with her. I mean, it, it's kind of secure, like a circuitous thing where, like. You know, we hear that the horse is missing. Uh, Henry legitimately wants to return the horse to Violet. Henry gets mom to help with the horse. And so that frees up the house for everybody else to, to, you know, storm the castle, so to speak. But then later there's suggestions that the horse was actually released by Emma. Uh, so it's a weird circuitous thing. Like, but Henry seemed completely legitimate wanting to help Violet, wanting mom to help him help Violet. Um, but at the same time, yeah, we hear that you know Henry has her occupied, but it seems like he legitimately has her occupied. Yeah, it is weird that it sort of was like farcical in that like all everything coincidental just seemed to line up that Emma happened to release the horse to take Henry away at the same time Henry wanted to lead Emma away so that everyone could get into the house. Everything just worked out pretty conveniently, which is fine because I feel like it definitely moved the plot around in terms of our heroes discovering Excalibur and then, you know, Excalibur not just sitting in a basement for so long, but there's this interesting thing here where uh, I guess, so we've, I guess we found the way to get through a protection spell, which is that like, if somebody, it's like a similar thing of like taking a security guard's fingerprints and putting it on a scanner, yeah. right? If there's someone who's been granted access, you're, you can try to like mimic yourself as them. And so Regina takes Henry's scarf and just sort of like, puts his fingerprints or his DNA on the door and that causes it to open. Yeah. In my vast knowledge of the magical arts and many of these wards of protection, the person who cast it can bypass it easily. And I think, you know, just, and, and similarly to that, you can have exceptions. Uh, and I think Henry was the exception, uh, but apparently it's not attuned to Henry, but just something he owns, which seems yeah. like a small uh, oversight in the spell. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a mashup of a of a protection spell and a tracker spell almost. Yeah, it'd just be like, you know, you can just steal stuff from the person who can get access, and then you can pretend to be them. And the spell's fooled. But okay, yeah, absolutely. So 
Uh, meanwhile, Emma takes Henry to uh, Peter. So we get to mention here, Peter, Peter, pumpkin eater. First time. Uh, yeah, I guess I guess he existed. I thought I think that I thought that was going to be like a little too much of an outlandish like nursery rhyme to be in the Enchanted Forest. But I guess he was there and he's he he's a rager, I guess. And they condemned his pumpkin place. Yeah, I don't know. I it it. I, I didn't get as much of that backstory from him. I just like figure out oh, he, he came here and he started a pumpkin patch. Um, but yeah, he's not there. And it seems to like he, he must still be in business because there's still pumpkins growing there. And I don't think, you know, pumpkin patches are like weeds. I think they need to be maintained to some extent, but I could be wrong. I'm not a pumpkin expert. Um, yeah. But yeah, Kurt, yes. if, if, if Nicodermis loves pumpkin, does that make him a basic bitch? no, <laughs> is he gonna have his? Does he drink lattes? Oh, okay, I'm getting that. Okay, it took me a second to get the, the latte reference. G- g- gave it to me. Okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't usually ask out of anywhere if a, if a horse can be <laughs> be observed as a bitch. <laughs> I was I was trying to place the reference, and I couldn't at first. So, all right. Well, I'm glad I'm glad we were on that. We were able to match up at the end about that. But they do find the horse, uh, Nicodermus is there, but of course it's spooked by Emma because, again, the animals are always the first to know. Uh, so Henry's able to uh, able to lure it in, but I guess the distraction's working because the heroes do find Excalibur, and Belle is like, Belle has become like the Velma Kelly of <laughs> of our group of heroes at this point because she's like, oh, the da- oh, look, this looks like the dagger. It must be connected to the dagger. Oh, look, a rope. They must have tied up Mr. Gold. Bonus points for knowing <laughs> Velma's last name. I couldn't have pulled that one out. Um, the and and I thought for sure that somebody was going to get like disintegrated here. <laughs> and I'm going to completely invalidate myself, Kurt. Uh, Velma Kelly, the last name Kelly comes from sh- the musical Chicago, not from Scooby Doo. Oh, never mind that. <laughs> I'm just waiting before somebody calls me out on it. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, Velma. I don't know. Jinky. I know. I think her last, Velma's last name is actually Jinkies. No. Say I'm pretty sure. So. I'm pretty sure her last. I'm. I'm going to look you up this right Please now while do. we talk. But um, yeah. So yeah. I mean, she's good for her. I mean, she's totally become like the bookish one of the group, and which is I, true I, to the Bell character. Yeah, I just think. I just think the jump. Uh, the the jump to oh, there's a rope. Rumple must have been here. Is like a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a leap oh. in logic. By the way, uh, Velma's last name is Dinkley, not Jinkies. Uh, but you were close. You were very, very close. I was very close. Better than Kelly. Yeah. Um, but but I actually, I mean, the rope. It's it when she held it up, it seemed like it was like kind of tied to like the bars or the wall, or was like basically was situated in some manner that would suggest it was used to bind somebody or to chain somebody up. Um, so mm. I think they knew that there was a prisoner there. Um. And so I actually bought that the the yeah. the the eagle eye thing with the sword and the dagger was 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 much more unexpected. Well, I, I mean, I I feel like she's been staring at that dagger for so long that I think she would recognize the metal and the the curvature of the handle and everything. Yeah, but yeah, but, it was yeah it was was really expecting some like like is someone going to try? Is this, do we lose someone to to somebody to to the Excalibur disintegration here? But we didn't. No, unfortunately not. We almost lost Hook. Yeah. Uh, if Regina had her way, it would have been Hook. But speaking of Hook, on the way out, since I get the sort of the message that she's coming home, Hook spies the Dreamcatcher, and he sort of brings up, you know, the Neil Pass, which made me also kind of remember. Maybe we glossed over this in our season three binge that the two men vying for Emma's affections were like a man who 
raise the other man as like his ward, which is like such a weird thing to think about on paper. And they hated each other. Yeah. Well, they, they, they grew grew a friendship. They grew back, but it was weird that he's like, like the man who was my, like who I looked up to as a kid, I'm now competing with to gain the the affection of the woman I love. It's just, it's strange. Yeah. Not an issue we have anymore. Goodbye, Neil. No, not anymore. (laughs) Ah, so sad. sad. Gone too soon. Team Neil. Uh, Yes, but let's go to the carnival, Kurt. <laughs> the block party. <laughs> block party carnival ball as uh, first the, the heroes tell Arthur where Excalibur is and they basically all sort of, they have a, yet another session where they sort of reveal to each other, okay, this is what we know, this is what you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, but the big specter of the carnival comes in when Henry actually rides in on Nilla Wafer <laughs> and Violet is ecstatic. <laughs> See, he did have to become something he wasn't. That's a horse rider. <laughs> yeah. Well, Sir Morgan is impressed. Yeah. yeah. But this is the first time he's really met Henry, so. That's true. He, does, he has no previous experience to go off. He forgets of. that he hated him. Nowhere to go but down. Exactly. Here. Yeah. So, I mean, it seems like everything is okay with Henry for now. Uh, but so Regina and Robin have, I guess they've taken the dream catcher back, uh, which I guess sort of goes against this whole idea of they probably wanted to leave the house as untouched as possible, so Emma <laughs> didn't know they came over. Yeah, and for some reason, this dream catcher was in the house as opposed to in the shadow dream catchers. Yeah, well, I wonder, you know, we before and earlier in the episode, we sort of glossed over, but Emma did go to the the shed of dream catchers to kind of ruminate over them. And clearly it seems she shows some remorse over taking people's memories. Maybe she got that one out in particular and just sort of looked at it and put it away in a box um, to sort of examine it further. I'm not sure why it's mm-hmm. out either because really outside of examining why she broke her son's heart and over and over again, there's no way to, you want to look at that again. Yeah. And, and I think in that, that in going back to that, that uh, dream catcher shed moment, I think that's when I first realized uh, oh, this this could be this room is all of the memories. It's like the, the physical storage of all of the memories of everybody in town is at least yes. what I'm thinking. That's my yes, like the Hall of Prophecies from Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Here we go. Uh, but they so they they decide. All right, let's look into this dream catcher, and it does indeed show Violet's memories. And so we jump back to the flashback here, where we see Henry's left a note for Violet at the stables. And a sort of and she seems frenzied, excited. She seems excited. She seems excited yeah. until like a like a kind of frenzied Emma suddenly appears and says, "You know, you, you have to not tell Henry what I'm about to do." Though it doesn't matter what she won't tell Henry because she is now taking her heart and is going to command her to basically break his heart. Yeah. So this almost makes it seem like she knew that Regina's tear wasn't going to work. Yeah, I had a feeling that she probably like. Maybe she wanted some sort of insurance for it. Uh, or maybe she didn't want it since... Well, I was going to say, since Regina to volunteered, she didn't want to hurt her feelings. But she was the one that volunteered Regina to begin with. Yeah. I don't know. She's, this is, if she, she's making two people cry at once, I don't know how... She's become Dark Swan sooner than we thought. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. She, she's, she's like... Just from the, even that very first scene where she freezes... Uh, where she freezes... Uh, Henry, not Henry, David and Mary Margaret. And she talks about how she used this other magic with the dream catchers. Like, and Regina's like, you're using this magic a lot, you know, just all of a sudden. And I like, it seems, it does seem like, like from zero to 60 in terms of her magic use. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so it's interesting. Yeah. Cause I, I'm not sure if there was there a moment when Emma realized that she 
was this an insurance measure? Did she, or did she immediately realize that Regina wasn't, wasn't going to work? I wonder how much she planned all of this out. Uh, but again, I think it's a really nice parallel back to like, why would a mother, you know, pull out Daniel's heart and kill him? Uh, and she does nearly that. Uh, she basically kills his romantic life by, by telling, uh, Violet to break up with him. So, uh, and this will go into a scene that we're probably just about to talk about where, you know, Gold says you think you're doing things for Henry. You think you're doing things for the right reasons, but you'll you'll you know you'll always lose the ones you love the most. Yeah. Uh, and it's very clear right now that she's lost Henry after he ends up sort of surreptitiously seeing what happened in that Dreamcatcher. Did he drop something that broke? Because if he didn't, that was a perfect scene for him to drop something and have it break. No, he didn't. Okay. Uh, I, I don't think he did. I think he just well, he pulled up every other like teenager cliche and like, you know, stomped upstairs and closed the door. Or at least maybe I'm imagining that. <laughs> well, you know, A, it probably happened. And B, you know, every right for that to happen. He. Yeah. She she Ma- Mama Swan uh, didn't do him right. No, absolutely not. And so our our final scene of this of this sort of strain is another Regina and Emma sort of. I guess this is this is more of a confrontation than the scene earlier where Emma just keeps saying, you know, this for this is for the greater good. I'm I'm doing, you know, I I I do I had to do what I had to do to free Merlin, but Regina pulls the Cora card on her uh and you know, this is uh, uh she says, you know, I think she's just basically like crossed the line at this point. She really has in seeing what she did to you know, kill her son's happiness, meaning both Regina and Emma's son. Uh, and then Regina also brings up the point that, oh, wait, if you're still the dark one and we freed Merlin, what the heck happened? Yeah, it's. Uh, there's so many different I mean, looking back at also like the ripping out of Violet's heart and that whole thing. Like, you know, you could have gotten Lancelot in the dungeons to cry about how Guinevere is no longer interested in him or something. Mm-hmm, I mean, there's, mm-hmm. there's, there were there were I mean, I think the issue with with Regina's tear is that it was like a more of a longing and memory tear as opposed to something like a, a, a pain that is fresh and that yeah. still hurts. Her. I mean, it probably does still hurt her, but, um, but I, you know, there, there could have been other ways to do this. I, I love that Lancelot point. I didn't even think about that. I mean, that's fantastic considering she saw it happen and it just happened. So he could very well likely go down there and she could very well likely go down to the dungeons and make that happen instead of saying, Oh, you know, the person that's closest to me that always supports me, no matter what I'm going to smash his heart to smithereens and take advantage of that to bring Merlin back to life. Yeah. Except for the fact that I even pointed out last time that, you know, Merlin or sorry, that, that Lancelot doesn't really emote a whole lot. <laughs> so getting him to cry might be like getting, you know, you know, squeezing water from a rock. No, I mean, Lancelot would probably, if they went down to the dungeon, Lancelot would probably try to make out with Emma. I don't know about that. <laughs> You're emotionally vulnerable. Let me kiss you. Uh, but yeah, so it's clear, you know, Regina slams the door in her face. I love that she calls her Miss Swan, too, because yes. again, that harkens back so much to the first season. And we see that and when with Henry sort of turning away to her in the window, that it's clear that she is all alone at this point. Yeah. And I do like that Regina's guess, and we don't know, it's not really confirmed, but Regina basically says, and I wouldn't be at all surprised if you also... Uh, were the one that let Nicodemus out so that to try to make, you know, to get Henry back in the favor of Violet or whatever, to do, make it up to yeah. him, um, which is something that I thought was interesting. But again, it kind of think that, well, if she really did let him out, then uh, I don't know. It's it just, we. I'm curious if that was actually the case. 
Yeah, I, I'm, I think from her facial reaction, or I think she turned away at one point. I think we're to assume that that did happen, which, again, sort of widens the scope here of her as the dark one, that she might not be completely evil and that I think that she still has some, she's still doing things of her own volition that she thinks is for the greater good. But I think she's so overwrought by dark magic at this point that everything she does just ends up being horrible. Yeah, I mean, she basically, she stole a horse to make her son happy. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me of like uh, that episode of The Simpsons where they get Mr. Burns to start recycling, but when he starts recycling, he ends up like bringing in all these ocean animals and making them into like slurry. So, and I think, and I think they say like even when you're good, you're, you're you try even when you try to be good, you're always bad. And I think that's the case with with Dark Swan right now. Yeah. So let's let's keep going on the Emma train here, though. But we'll we'll flash back to the beginning of the episode. Let's let's talk a little bit about all this gold and Merida stuff uh, because we did. You know, we we brought out the ginger, uh, though I told you before we recorded here that the ginger pissed me off a little bit this episode, Kurt. I was, I'm not happy with the way the ginger says, okay, this is what a hero needs to be. Yeah, um, not, not a big fan of, uh, Brave's methods. (laughs) Yeah, no, 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 uh, but... We we get the scene in the beginning where Emma frees gold and we sort of have a recycled conversation where she says, pull out Excalibur. I can. I'm not a hero. Okay, well, here's Merida. Merida, you're under my control. Remember, you're going to go train him how to be a hero. Yeah, you you can't just make... Is it really that easy? You can't just make somebody a hero. No, that's what... I mean, that's and really what Merida was doing it's just sort of training him to be a warrior. I mean, it's it's like having Braun train Jamie with his left hand how to fight a sword. It's basically a one-to-one comparison. Jamie's not being a hero, but he's he's just learning how to fight with a sword. Yes. You know, it was was Henry becoming a hero by swinging around a sword in the forest? <laughs> Very much no. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, Swordplay is a technique. Heroism is in the heart. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, I I'm thinking hero. I'm thinking of like doing virtuous deeds or like sacrificing yourself for someone you love you know it doesn't mean like oh i'm just gonna come in here and, sw- and s- i mean arthur swings a sword around is he a hero it's a little like being cool like if you try to be cool you can't <laughs> be cool you just are cool and it's the same with being a hero yeah except gold doesn't want to be a cool at all he's yeah. like no I'm, I'm fine being in the back here with my geometry geometry textbook i'm just gonna i'm gonna hang out here yeah. but uh so I mean, this is the other thing too. Gold like just got out of like a magical coma and he can like barely stand. And both Emma and Merida are like, no, swing this sword around. Do these extremely physical activities, even though you can barely walk. But we also did, you know, Gold always walked with a cane too, didn't he? I mean. Oh yeah. Well, cause he was, I think he was, uh, he was, I think it was in the Ogre Wars. He got, yeah. oh no, cause he tried to run out of the Ogre Wars. So he got his leg broken for trying to run away. Yeah, so I think I, that's the, I think just the, the ongoing issues with that, with that, uh, with, with that injury that they're just not, you know, giving him the proper walking implements. Yeah. <laughs> Use well, he gets, he, he's, he's got the dragon cane though. Yeah, I think sure. he's, I think he's okay. Um, but so, so Merida sort of figures out like, okay, me yelling at you is not going to get you to do this. So I need to find another method. Let me exploit your memories and the people that you love. Oh yeah. I thought for sure. And then she like basically cold cocks him. Yep. <laughs> I thought for sure that like next thing we're going to see is like bells miss- missing and kidnapped or something. Well, I mean not to spoil too much about next yeah. week, but it looks very much like that's going to happen. Like I thought that's, I thought that would have been plan a or, or at least yeah. if plan a was, you know, yelling at him until he picks up a sword. I thought that when she said, 
let's let's find something that will motivate you. I thought that that was going to immediately be her going after Bell. Well, well, and, she actually she actually uses like a bell like plan here in terms of like going to the book itself, uh, which I'm not sure how she found out about that, but I don't know. Uh, and she and she looks up what his story is, and this is actually I was watching this with my wife, and we like both paused it and just like had to laugh out loud at this part when she breaks into the pawn shop by shooting an arrow at the door. Yeah, she broke the lock. I'm sure. How did, what? What? It's a sharp what? arrow. It's a sharp arrow. I don't want, <laughs> how does, what, but arrows are not, as much as Legolas may try to convince us, arrows are not like keys or ninja stars or lock picks. There's, you can't shoot an arrow at a doorknob and say, all right, it's open now. We can go inside. Uh, yeah, I bought it. <laughs> all right, we we'll do, get, we'll we get, do get. learn that, you know, Merida is kind of really rushed or like she, she's really kind of motivated that she, she wants to help get her brothers back and her kingdom back. So apparently this still has not happened in Camelot times, unless uh, unless it's a memory thing. Maybe she did do it and just can't remember. Yeah, I mean that's Forget another thing that. too. I wonder. I, like, I guess her memories are gone as well, or maybe they're not. I don't know. We don't know how if if she got brought over in a different capacity. Um, but she ends up grabbing a relic, and we'll find out very soon as she poofs back and, and wakes up Mister Gold that the relic is the ever sought after chip teacup. And so Merida takes one of the most important symbols of the entire series and says, Oh, I'm going to drop it. Oh, Oh, I think oh, I might drop it. Oh, come on. Come on. I might drop it. And like, realistically, like in terms, in terms of the context of what the, yeah, it's a symbol and it may have a lot of sentimental meaning to him, but like, if it breaks, it's not like something like their love is shattered or anything like that. Right. Didn't, did she not, didn't Belle break it when she was lacy? Didn't she? He like hand her the teacup and she like smashed it or something. But I don't think that means that if the if if the teacup breaks, I don't suddenly think we get lacy back. Um, oh God, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, 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 let's not go back to the white rabbit again. What I'm saying is like, like he shows. It's not like she like you know shows up with the world's greatest dad mug. I mean, it's it. Yes, it's symbolic, but it's you know. It, I'd be like, you know, I'm tired and I'm really sick of you, Mayor. Just break the damn thing. I don't really care. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess she so she gets what I guess she wants him to do, which is to show his bravery by like swinging at her once. There's a difference between bravery and anger. Yes, exactly. Heroes are not born out of being angry at someone. You can't taunt taunt somebody into an act of heroism. Come on, Mr. Fireman. Come on. Don't don't rescue the cat. Someone too scared to rescue the cat. Yeah, exactly. That's not not how heroism works. But I guess, you know, she's a she's called brave, not necessarily intuitive. Uh, But but there was a really interesting actually thing that she said at the end of this scene, and maybe I'm looking too much into it, Kurt, but Meredith says, you know, yeah, you're showing some progress. Now we got to, but you're in no shape to face off against Emma. So this brings up a question. Is the plan, was Emma's uh, big plan for Gold to face off against her so he could be a hero? Or is Merida planning to get revenge by training Gold enough so that he can go take out Emma? I completely missed that. Um, uh... If if I I don't think we've seen that, uh, I think if if it's between those two, I'd I think it would have to be the second one where maybe she was like training him, like 
motivating him through an ul- some sort of ulterior motive. Um, because I don't think we've heard Emma voice that the ultimate plan is that, well, that gold has to be built up to a point where he can face me. I don't remember. I think we would have heard that sentiment yeah. in, in a, in a pr- earlier speech. So uh, maybe like Merida realizes that, you know, Emma is the big force of evil in town. And even though she controls, even though Merida, even though Emma controls Merida, that um, Merida kind of realizes that, yeah, I'm training you to be a hero, but you, you, you should actually be able to fight because you're, you may need to be, if you were truly do become a hero and can remove this sword from the stone, you may be the only thing that can actually, or person that can actually stop Emma. So maybe that was yeah. it. I mean, if that's the case, then I mean, actually, maybe she's a lot more intuitive than we initially thought, because, you know, we're we're saying, oh, you're focusing so much on training him, training him, training him. Maybe she's purposely training him so that, you know, so that when he does become that hero, he'll be buff enough to and have the training to immediately face off against Emma. So, I mean, maybe we'll see that might have just been a throwaway comment, but maybe it will come to fruition in a couple of episodes. I'm surprised she didn't just have him like go to CrossFit. (laughs) <laughs> that's true i heard crossfit storybrook has uh is it uh the 20s tweedledee and tweedledum go to crossfit oh, all the time did you just call the 20s tweedledee and tweedledum i think you no, did no no i did not i'm sorry i love the anderson <laughs> twins uh fin- let's finish up here i have a couple of questions that came to us from twitter last night uh so rachel asks where does violet rank amongst the child actors on once upon a time so i guess who who do we compare her against power, no power ding mary ranking, kill kurt power ranking, power ranking. <laughs> kurt the censors are already on us no uh so we have uh, we have what little snow white we have Ooh. young emma pan. Uh, uh we have pan uh we have is that it well then you then you have your violet and, and henry um violet and henry and i guess we have lily as well if you count her uh, I wouldn't count. Oh, like young Lily. Yeah, like young Lily. In that when that in that one flashback scene last year Gosh. when it was her. Oh, we we won't count one time ch- children. There's also like Pinocchio. It is as a kid. Oh God. Okay, Bob. That's he's at the bottom. <laughs> um, I when I was considering this question, because I, I was actually thinking during the show, and it was funny to see this question that uh, uh, Violet not that great. Or at least Henry next to Violet makes Henry look amazing. Yeah, um, I would say Jerry Gilmore. I mean, I think we we kind of trashed him at the finale for like I remember that one scene where he was standing over Regina's dead body and he was just showing the doing the some of the worst acting ever. But he's gotten he's gotten better. Yes. But that might just be with in comparison yeah. with Violet. I, I would have I would have Pan at the top. Oh oh god, absolutely. And and, Though, and young young Snow shortly thereafter. Yeah, young Snow White. I think we both we both really enjoyed. And then I guess I would put young Emma after her. Yeah, I think she. I think you know, young slash teenage Emma was fine. And then I guess it would go what Henry, Henry Violet, Pinocchio, and <laughs> burn Pinocchio with fire. And little Lily and young young Lily, young Emma. I think are about the same. Um, yeah, I would say so. I mean, Lily was fine in that one episode. Yeah. All right, uh, and then to finish up. Uh, Josh asks, why do none of the heroes trust Emma? She hasn't done anything evil per se. And this sort of ties into what we were talking about before. We still don't know whether she let the horse go to uh, sort of get on Henry's good side. But I mean, she turned Sneezy em- into a statue and, and pretty much just threatened them. Um, so, but, do you, but other than that, have has she made any sort of I mean, I know she's had her scenes with Hook and they've sort of broken things off, but have she has she done anything so far to put any of them in danger? No, but I think they 
they realized, you know, her, her, her little show, when they got back to Storybrooke, pretty much placed her as, you know, firm and true dark one. Um, and so, and, no, and just knowing, you know, how, you know, even though Mr. Gold was the dark one uh, in Storybrooke and, and could be pleasant, they also saw that he couldn't be trusted. So I think it's more of a, a wariness, given that they know mm-hmm. what dark ones can do and that she's pretty much already cemented that, hey, I'm a dark one. Look, I turned him into a statue just for sneezing. Um, I think that she immediately put them on guard with that with that show of power. And so it's uh she she could have tried to play it off and like no no i'm still fine and i'm still uh you know they don't know what happened so she could have completely been acting as she did in camelot uh and and working behind the scenes but you know she she firmly planted her on uh, herself on the people not to be trusted radar and i think if she had wanted to do some things behind the scenes she didn't go about it the right way I feel like there's like a step missing though, because I, I I can understand why like Regina and now Henry and now Hook are against Emma, but I feel like there's a step missing with David and Mary Margaret. Like I kind of wish there would be a scene where like they go to her and try to like plead with her, like we're your parents, please stop this, and then she does something to them that makes them realize she's gone over the edge. I feel like we still have that facet that needs to be unlocked. And true, um, yeah, because because as, as much as I said that you know she quickly showed everybody that she can't be trusted and she's this powerful creature that needs to be wary of. Um, They are pretty good at giving Emma multiple chances. (laughs) Yeah, Um, they really are. And something just hit me. We haven't seen Zelina in modern day Storybrooke, have we? Uh, No, we haven't actually. And we, yeah, we, we have not. And she's been silenced in Camelot as well. So I really, we really don't know. What's been going on with her? I'm sure one of the listeners will let us know via Twitter <clears throat> if uh, you know if Zelina was in that scene in Granny's diner when they returned to Storybrooke. Uh, I think I think she was. Okay. I'm pretty sure she was in the back. But maybe maybe um, they just threw her back in the uh, in the Nurse Ratchet's uh, sanitarium. Yep, they they could have very especially since like Robin's running around with them. I'm assuming they'd be like, okay, or maybe she's like having the baby right now and she's in the hospital with Doctor Whale. Who knows? <laughs> oh, Whale. <laughs> so if you guys out there have any ideas as to whether you think uh, Emma's hate from the heroes is well-deserved or if you have any connections between the name uh, Nicodemus and uh, Arthurian mythology, or if you personally believe that a block party is the perfect thing to cheer up some sad camel lotions, you have a bunch of ways to reach out to us. Uh, as always, you can always post something on the post show recaps comment page. Uh, while you're there, please make sure you subscribe to our once upon a time only feed at postshowrecaps.com slash once iTunes. And please, while you're there, uh, rate and review us. It always boosts us up in the rankings. We always love that. And as always, you can always reach out to us on the aforementioned Twitter. Kurt, how can people reach out to you on Twitter? I am at Kurt Clark with two C's on the Twitter. And I am at a Mike Bloom type. I'm said Moom type, uh, not my Twitter handle at a Mike Bloom type on Twitter. And we are going breakneck speed here on post show recaps. American Horror Story coverage just started up. Fargo, SNL, Seinfeld, The Walking Dead. I heard it was a uh, quite an interesting episode of The Walking Dead, Kurt. Yeah, something happened. Something happened. That's I think we'll just leave it at that to not spoil people that might be like me three seasons behind but lots of exciting tv lots of great stuff going on on poster recap so please subscribe to the main feed so you stay in tune to everything that's going on so we're going to be back next week to talk a 
possibly a little bit more brave, but for now, we must leave you. Kurt Clark, let's finish it off with a hashtag for everyone who's made it this far. Well, I had to kind of put the hashtag on pause last week, um, but in, in honor of our new power couple slash odd couple of Merida and Mr. Gold, I propose a hashtag of Marigold. <laughs> I love it i i think it's it's perfect a very abusive relationship but uh we we love it nonetheless so hashtag marigold if you made it this far are we gonna go use the typical spelling no. or m-e-r-i m-e-r-i oh great that way we won't get caught in with the other hashtag marigold <laughs> all those there's, gardening there's, tweeters out there there's yeah there's a lot of botanists out there kurt you never know so hashtag marigold if you made it this far thank you guys as always for listening we, we will be back next week and just remember that song from yaz works every time every time take care everyone bye bye